0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Long Game Podcast by Penjana Capital in collaboration with CGS-AMB. In this episode, we sit down with Mr. Chehan Pereira to, disc- to dissect the Malaysian market outlook for 2024. Drawing from his comprehensive report, Mr. Chehan shares invaluable insights on key sectors poised for growth, potential underperformers, and strategic investment opportunities. We delve into the lessons learned for 2023's market performance and how they shape the future. Mr. Chehan also offers expert advice for investors, navigating this dynamic landscape, highlighting economic and policy factors that could influence market trends. So let me introduce Mr. Chehan. Mr. Chehan, thank you for agreeing to be part of the show. How are you today? Thank you. I'm good. All right. Let's, so without further ado, I guess we can start with the questions. Um, so in CGS CIMB's Malaysia Outlook Report for 2024, Titled Multiple Tailwinds Support a Comeback in 2024 On December 11, 2023 CGS forecasted KLCI to reach uh, 17.55 points Which is quite bullish I would say And the KLCI has been down for 5 of the past 6 years And the FBM has 5 FBM 100 and Ringgit Down for 4 of the past 6 years So what's the reason for your optimism for this year?
1: Okay, so thanks for having me on this uh, podcast. Um, I guess although the market performance even in 2023 was fairly lackluster until actually we entered the second half, there were fairly significant changes that took place and we would like to call it foundations being laid for potential tailwinds as we go into 2024. To put things a bit into context and look at a bit of history first, and you mentioned those five or six years where the KLCI was down. So let's go back to January 2018, when the KLCI was actually trading around 1800. In the first four months of 2018, KLCI went up a probably another 100 points, almost to 1900. But then what happened was we had GE14 In May 2018. um, The country came out of GE14 with significant expectations but some of these expectations didn't materialize and we had a fairly prolonged period of what we would like to call policy inconsistency and there were several mishaps after another which created a fairly big headwind for the market. At the same time start of 2018 or around there our ringgit was trading at 380 to the US dollar today it's at 473 so you've seen a consistent depreciation and if you are a fund manager even in Malaysia or overseas movements in the local currency in the markets you invest matter so that was your second headwind third is an CGSCIMB MB, or myself were equally guilty about that where we usually start the year as sell-side analysts with fairly bullish earnings expectations but as the year progressed most of those last five six years we've seen significant downgrades and the kind of growth you expect at the start of the year didn't come through so there again that rounds up your third headwind that's what's taken your market from over 1800 to where we are today at around 1500 and to round this off we went to a low of about 1380 middle of last year. Now as we enter 2024 these three tailwinds headwinds that I spoke about in our view have all come together to form a fairly powerful confluence of tailwinds. On the policy side especially since middle of last year, there has been a lot of clarity and a lot of granularity on what the government, what the prime minister wants to do over the medium term. And some of those policies are now seeing even continuity. On the second side, we believe the dollar index will break down sometime this year. We think the Fed will turn neutral to dovish, and that should result in ringgit appreciation not forgetting the fact that Malaysia runs a fairly strong current account surplus. You're looking at a period of fiscal consolidation, a key strategy for the government. And you're also seeing domestic demand being quite robust. On the third side, earnings, we are looking at 16% earnings growth this year from flat earnings last year. So, there again, we are looking at a fairly big pickup. Uh, Just to finish this, of course, as I said earlier, we start at a high level and then we move down. But this time around, we've seen fairly decent trend lines in the last few quarters, especially for what we define as the more domestic driven segment of the market, which accounts for about 85% of our coverage. So it's essentially the reversal of the headwinds to tailwinds that underpins this 17.55 target and in the context if the headwinds reverse coming closer to 1800 doesn't seem as far-fetched as admittedly the headline does
0: right i would like to let me double down on 2023 um, because if you look at last year there was still a lot of uncertainty whether it's geopolitical uh, domestic politics and so on so if you were to recap 2023 how do you think we fared as a nation in comparison with our neighboring countries
1: Um, I agree, there are, there were uncertainties, there continues to be uncertainties, but I think Malaysia, especially in the second half, went through fairly significant structural change, especially on the policy side, and that kind of clarity on what the government wants to do, not just for the next 12 months, but for the next 5-10 years, I think is a big change and that would be the most positive takeaway from 2023. In addition to that, if you look at the underlying domestic economy, although GDP growth was probably around 3.8 to 4% in 23, domestic demand drivers were actually a lot more robust. What dragged GDP was the export side as the global economy seems to be going through a small downturn. So locally, uh, everything wasn't negative. But unfortunately, the KLCI ended the year slightly in the red at about a 2% decline.
0: Okay, so you mentioned a bit on policy clarity and I think over the past year also we've seen uh, policies such as NIMP, NETR and so on and so forth which are longer term in nature uh, with the intention to really revamp the economy, if I may say. Because over the past decade or so, Malaysia has been... Sort of flattish, if I may. So do you think it's time for investors to look at Malaysia and put on a more risk-on perspective and maybe take on higher, higher uh, risk assets such as VCPE, which are longer term in nature? Just wanted to get your thoughts on that.
1: Yes, I think before moving into things like VC and PE, people should start to look at simple public equities. Public equities is a risk asset. It's a risk asset that has derated significantly over the last couple of years. This market used to trade at a 17-18 times PE multiple. Today we are at about a 13.5 to 14.5 times multiple. The domestic economy is improving. And in that respect, I think, yes, you should be looking at risk assets. Also considering that policy rates, in our view... Will remain around three percent for the next for the foreseeable future, and at the same time your ringgit borrowing costs interestingly are now lower than u s dollar borrowing costs. The other category actually certainly areas like VcPE could benefit from some of these long term policies but look at real assets look at real estate assets a lot of them in a Malaysian context seems expensive when we compare our ringgit incomes and so on but on a regional context in dollars actually Malaysian real assets are quite attractive so if the view on the ringgit changes we won't be surprised if there's foreign investment even in some of those real assets
0: okay that's good let's go back to Malaysian public equities so we've seen an encouraging start to 2024 for the Malaysian public equity market um with the KLCI gaining about 3%, not much but still good over the first two weeks of the new year. Uh so what's your take on this and do you think it's sustainable could this something be could this be an indication for 2024 maybe Malaysia's the go to market? Well I would like to think so
1: considering that we have a 1755 target which if I'm not mistaken is the highest in the street at the moment. Um, but it's encouraging that you are seeing more activity, and it's not just domestic investors pushing up the market. We've seen a little bit of improvement in foreign participation as well, um, which is a good thing. But what we would like to see is some of the performance broadening out a little. You know, sectors like real estate, sectors like construction utilities specific stocks within that space have generally outperformed and real estate construction utilities all our sectors we have been overweight since middle of last year but I think you need to see performance broaden out a little. There are several sectors like your banks, your telecoms, even some of the consumer discretionary companies that uh, could actually deliver pretty good numbers and where the risk reward, and that's always something we look at, is quite well balanced uh, at the moment. But certainly the performance
0: in Jan is quite encouraging. Mm. So could we see more maybe IPO mark, IPOs or any new primary offerings? What, what do you think about that? well basically if your market
1: is a little more firmer if valuations are a little more better it's encouraging for promoters to come to the market and it gives promoters a reason to kind of unlock some value so i think certainly you could see a pickup in the IPO market. And it's not that it hasn't been robust. We've seen a lot of listings mainly on the ace market, some of which that have done quite well. But in addition to that, I think even within your listed companies, we would like to see management and shareholders doing a lot more proactive work to unlock value. Because in a fairly distressed market like we are at today, you have a lot of mispricing between assets even within a group and to unlock that value you need to trigger certain catalysts and that's uh, what we would like to see as well and in fact that's one of the themes that we are pushing for 2024 as well. Okay
0: now that you mentioned that we need a catalyst for the capital markets it just occurred to me that the Prime Minister recently announced that he he just implored the, the Glicks to bring back capital back to Malaysia. Do you think that now's the right time to pl- bring back all this capital back to our country? Uh, and uh, what asset class should they bring back? Because it's a lot of dry powder we're talking about here, right?
1: Yeah, so that's a difficult question to answer. And my view is that if the policy is right, if the economic momentum is there, Portfolio managers will adjust their portfolios and just changing asset allocation and pushing a market doesn't make sense. And I, to be honest, I don't think that's really what the prime minister meant. I think what it was meant is that maybe there are domestic attributes as well uh, that need to be considered. Also, keep in mind, it's not just domestic funds changing asset allocation since early 2018, we've had about 46 billion ringgit flow out of the equity market. What about some of those investors? You know, and for those investors, I think the balance of risk in Malaysia is actually turning positive. And that can be potentially meaningful um, if their view on the market changes a little more
0: significantly. So how can we really instill confidence towards the Malaysian market? Because credit to the government, they've come out with very solid policies and, and, and NETR and so on and so forth. Now comes the hard part, implementation and execution. What's your thought on this? Is that enough?
1: Yeah, so I think I think you're right. You need follow through and also you need consistency. So on one side, the plans that the Prime Minister, several other ministers have outlined run Not for the next year, but for the next three, five, ten years. So what we want is consistency in keeping those plans and gradually implementing those plans. And I would say incrementally implementation has improved. You know, you've seen the government talking about targeted subsidies, moving to a more balanced subsidy regime. And there has been progress on it. It's not the end yet, but there has been progress on the development side the government is looking at fairly aggressive budgets of about 90 billion plus per year for 23 24 and 25. put it into context pre-pandemic the development spending was about 55 to 60 billion ringgit so that's about a 50 percent jump so those spending plans if the implementation can pick up a little certainly i think uh, the market will also take that positively but it's just continuing what you said and i think the rest will come through because the underlying fundamentals in malaysia look at employment look at unemployment um, look at general incomes um, then other factors as well like say inflation or interest rates they are all quite conducive for fairly robust domestic growth so it's just a continuation and, as you said, implementation that I think is needed.
0: Yeah, I think coming up with the policies is the, only the first step. Following through, implementing is going to take a long time and and so we need patience, capital and so on. So I think we've touched a bit, a bit on the geopolitics side, the macro, and then we've delved uh, into Malaysia and how we can position ourselves. Let's talk about sectors. So let's focus on sectors like financial services, utilities and healthcare. Um, which are a bit, you know, strategic for Malaysia. So what specific growth prospects do these sectors offers in uh, 2024, you think? Okay, so if you don't mind, I'll take the sectors in reverse order.
1: And I must highlight these all three sectors that we are overweight on. On healthcare, there's structural growth in the private healthcare space that's happening and the two main stocks that we cover there, KPJ and IHH, are clear players on that. So healthcare side, you're seeing new investment, you're seeing good growth, and you're potentially seeing new companies come to the market in the space. On the utility side, there's a lot of growth to look forward to from the NETR, or the National Energy Transformation Roadmap. This is not just the roadmap for the next five years but through to 2050 but the first stop as we understand it is 2030 where you want to see your renewable energy generation go up your renewable energy capacity go up and you want to see the setting up of an energy exchange Um, you want to see more plant ups on the renewable side and so on so that space i think the players in that space starting with tenaga Uh, clearly can play into that growth and expectations built into these stocks are still relatively reasonable. On the bank side yes your headline loan growth is around four to five percent may seem moderate but actually consumer loans are growing at a faster pace than that and on the kind of corporate or SME side Some of these investment initiatives, some of these big policy initiatives can actually stimulate asset growth. On the other hand, we are seeing margins settle a bit. Uh, Clearly, the banks are now well capitalized and what's encouraging is that most banks we cover, if not all, are quite proactive in managing capital as well. And part of this is paying more dividends to shareholders, which is always a good thing.
0: right. What do you think of, just to touch a bit on financial services, with the rise of digital banking, do you think it's going to, at least, I don't know, what's the better word, uh, rattle the cages of the current big, big, uh, big banks locally?
1: Mm, the short answer is I don't think so. And I think each bank will go into their own digital channels as well. I think simple stuff like online banking or banking apps and all, most of the banks have it already. Also, if you use an example of maybe 10-15 years ago, uh, the evolution into Islamic banking, and at the time when Islamic banking was quite nascent, many felt that you know pure Islamic banks will do well, but the mainstream conventional banks would not be able to keep up. But today, if we look at it. Most of the big banks have very powerful Islamic banking units, some of which are independently incorporated, that kind of gives them exposure to that space as well. So I think it will bring about a little more keen competition, but the domestic banks or the anchor banks are quite well positioned to handle changes in the marketplace.
0: Okay. Um, Most people are saying that if you look at the... The recent policies, NETR, NIMP, these are mostly energy manufacturing uh, focused policies. Do you think that these sectors are, you know, destined for, I don't know, double digit growth? Is it, is, are these policies a boon for them, do you think?
1: Uh, potentially, but um, I think on the energy side, certainly if you set up your energy exchange, if there's a kind of transparent marketplace created, Um, you could see a lot more build-up of renewable energy. On the manufacturing side, it's a lot more complicated because, yes, you are seeing new investment come in, but Malaysia's manufacturing sector is very big, very diverse. It caters to the domestic economy, it caters to the external economy. So you need to consider those factors as well when you forecast how those sectors are going to go. But the catalytic nature of some of these strategies and the kind of triggers that the government is looking for is quite positive. And a lot of that actually will spill over into sectors like construction and big sectors like services. So it is kind of intertwined and that those
0: triggers are the ones that um, I think are most positive for the domestic economy what about consumer automotive because there's been a big push for evs from the government i know right now it's still on the higher end but that's also because of protectionist policies by the government what's your take on the ev market is there potential here can we really transition from ice to evs uh, i i
1: think we can um if i'm not mistaken EV sales are less than 5% of total sales today. It's um, quite small. Um, I think the government is also quite keen on developing the EV ecosystem in terms of charging stations and all that, which is critical for the market to flourish. Just because you have an EV vehicle at the price point, If you don't have the supportive ecosystem, you have a problem. In terms of after sales, in terms of maintenance, these are all areas that need to develop. But over time, if you also have this sufficient generation capacity, that's when I think the government will probably look at pushing the EV market more. You need to have the renewable energy generation because you're consuming a lot more energy. And you need to have the kind of infrastructure to support the EV ecosystem. But once that happens, there's no reason why a lot of the brands that are in Malaysia already can't expand their EV mix um, in their sales.
0: Yep, I think cost is one thing, but there's also <coughs> the issue of range anxiety, right? Especially with CNY coming up, we don't want to uh, queue up for too long, just wait to, to recharge our EVs. So thank you so much for that. Um, let's jump into challenges and risks because. Uh, we've talked about, a lot about the upside let's talk about the potential downside um, so in your view what are the main challenges and risks that investors should be aware of both uh, in the Malaysian and global market this year because we've got uh, happening such as US interest rate pause the potential war in the Middle East whether it's Israel-Palestine or the war in Ukraine and then you also have the geo- geopolitics when it comes to um, elections in the US and Taiwan's recent election so what's your view on this?
1: Yeah, so the risks, you're right in that you have domestic risks and you have external risks. On the domestic side, the key risk that we would be concerned about is inconsistency in policy. As we discussed earlier, the plans have been laid out. The plans make a lot of sense and the plans are not just talking about growth, growth, growth. But it's also talking about fiscal consolidation, reducing the country's risk profile. What we want is continuity of those plans. Anything that derails the continuity of those plans is a key risk that we would be worried about. On the external side, I think there's still a lot of debate on whether the U.S. will go into a full-blown recession or not. Our view is that there'll be a soft landing and that by media, the Fed will start reducing rates. If that base case turns out to be the case, I think that's quite manageable. But if the U.S. goes into some sort of a full-blown recession, or there is a serious debt issue that comes about in the U.S., that would be a big concern. And thirdly, of course, as you rightfully highlighted, geopolitical risks have to be considered you know what's happening at the in the middle east today elections in key major economies key trading nations um, certainly matter and especially some of the middle east issues we would hope that they end sooner than later because it causes a lot of instability
0: okay i'd like to touch more on two countries here uh, us and india but let me t- start with us so looking back to 2023 every almost everyone on the street expected that a full-blown recession was coming to the us but as we look back to 2023 the whole market was sort of supported by the magnificent seven mainly due to the boom in ai they call it the ai rally and whatnot do you think it's sustainable what's your thought on ai could it be a game changer for private or maybe even the public markets
1: okay so I'm far from an expert on AI, so it's very hard for me to go into the technicalities of it and the potential fundamentals or the potential revenue bases from these technologies. Uh, But certainly the markets have built in a lot of expectations. And usually when such expectations are built in a relatively short period of time, you are prone for disappointment. And that's something I would be a little careful of. We have no doubt in the potential for AI, the increased uh, adoption of AI. All those things are structural developments that can evolve over the next 5-10 years. But markets being markets, you always overshoot on the upside and you always overshoot on the downside. So the question today is, The multiple that the market ascribes, either to the revenues of these companies or the profits of these companies, is that the correct multiple and will those expectations be met. And I would say the balance of risk doesn't look too attractive for some of these companies, but these are great businesses. And these are innovators, which admittedly investors have appreciated quite a bit.
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, so now let's go to India recently we've seen Kazana invested in uh, Oyo one of the budget hotels and they also res- uh, recently announced a huge funding round in one of the QSR uh, fast food restaurant chains there so what's your thought on India are they a beneficiary of the China plus one policy are they benefiting from this whole geopolitical tension between the west and the east could they be the next China what's your thought on India uh
1: Well, I think India already is very much a superpower. And I think India is a very powerful driver of global growth. But the composition of India's economy or the cultural background of India versus China is very different. So I think India will be a powerhouse on its own. Uh, The entrepreneurship and the kind of domestic, uh, what do you call it, strength. In India is very powerful, and you've seen a massive change in policy direction since uh, Modi took over as Prime Minister, and it seems as if he will continue um, for the next term as well. So, in that respect, you know, Indian market has done very well, rightfully so, and the significance uh, can clearly grow. On China Plus One. Yes, you are seeing selective benefit where there are major suppliers for some of these global multinationals that have set up bases in India. But I would say China plus one, even Taiwan plus one, could play in better into ASEAN than India. India tends to be less trade-driven or has tended to be and also a little more service-driven. But evolving into a kind of global manufacturing hub is something that's possible, but
0: I would say it'll take a little more time. Okay, so let's go back closer to home. Uh, Malaysia is often viewed as a market that doesn't really provide the desired growth premium to investors. And since most of the identified risks that we identified are external in nature, and uh, with better clarity, as you point out this year, emerging from Malaysia. Do you think Malaysia as a nation in isolation do you think this country will be seen favorably by foreign investors as an attractive fundraising and investment destination?
1: Yeah so I would say admittedly Malaysia is a slightly more mature economy or market than say compared to a country like Indonesia where you have a much bigger population base uh, many areas penetration is less than Malaysia so that underlying kind of structural growth is not as strong as, say, in some of those markets. But what Malaysia offers fund managers and what I think has been kind of underappreciated is that you still have a fairly robust domestic economy. Your private consumption is, has been robust for a while and your investment numbers are clearly picking up. And at the same time, you get a good balance in terms of fairly strong balance sheets. A lot of Malaysian companies offer very good dividend yields. And you also have, in our view, an undervalued currency. So it's that balance of growth and value, so to speak, that I think would make Malaysia more interesting. And coupled with some of the kind of medium term policies of the government that makes it attractive on its own. So each market has its own attributes, but I think Malaysia has that balanced attribute which should which investors should find interesting.
0: Right. What do you think of, you know, those who say that Malaysia is not big enough for market? I would rather go to Singapore where it's more mature, more globalized, or maybe Indonesia where it's up and coming and it's the, the addressable market is much, much bigger. How do you then convince these people to say, look, Malaysia has opportunities and these are the opportunities. How do we then educate them? Because I think one of the issues with Malaysia is that we don't shout loud enough. We don't brand ourselves as well as other nations. How, we do, how do we then teach them that, hey, Malaysia's the go-to country? Yeah, so I think any portfolio
1: manager or any investor with an Asian or global mandate you need to diversify as well. So, Singapore has its attributes, Indonesia has its attributes, but Malaysia also has its attributes. So, yes, Malaysia may not be as mature as Singapore, but arguably the Malaysian domestic story is a lot more stronger than what the Singapore domestic economy is doing. On the other hand, Malaysia may not have the kind of dynamic or exciting growth that Indonesia offers, But it has a fairly strong current account surplus, interest rates are a lot lower, and as I said, dividends and all have been growing. So Malaysia has its own attributes, and we are kind of in an upcycle phase where the policy side, the economy side, has turned up quite nicely. Even the normalization in tourism is giving the domestic economy a decent tailwind or a decent push as we go further into 24. So it's those balanced attributes that I would say makes Malaysia stand out. Also at a more stock level, you can always find good comparisons to Singapore. And even to some extent, if you're looking at growth, you could find decent comparisons to Indonesia.
0: Right. <coughs> I agree. It's a very interesting time for Malaysia as a whole as we transition towards more, I guess, physical discipline, you know, energy transition. These are very interesting sectors, up and coming sectors uh, globally. Uh, but again, it goes back to whether we can really execute and follow on the policies that the government has in place already. So I think that's the end of our episode. Thank you so much, Mr. Shehan, for your time. So we've covered a lot of things. If I may recap, we've covered the geopolitics globally and then we went into the sector specifics. We even touched on a few a few specific countries across the world and uh, where we can put our money in for, uh, for, the, for the next year or so. Uh, thank you so much, uh, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you again, Mr. Chehan. And if you have any questions about Penjana Capital or C G S C I M B, feel free to reach out to any of the Penjana Capital team. Uh, see you next time. Bye bye. <laughs>